Okay, it's a good day already, right? I mean, I know before I came here because Brandy and Nick make the decision already. So it's a win. I mean, it, 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 it's a win for the home team already with uh, you know, people surrendering to Christ. That's, that's what it's about. We, could, we couldn't see it. But what happened was something pretty amazing. A transaction happened and, and, and all the guilt of their sin was placed on Christ and has been forgiving. And though we couldn't see it, God's spirit is coming, according to Peter, to live inside of them as a precious gift. So that, it, it doesn't get any better than that, except maybe heaven, which all, all just good stuff there. Hey, whew, all right. I want to read some words that, that a guy named Paul wrote. And we'll be hanging out with Paul the next two weeks. And uh, Paul's writing to church at Rome. He writes this. Opens the letter this way. This letter is from Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, chosen by God to be an apostle and sent out to preach his good news. God promised this good news long ago through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. The good news is about his son. In his earthly life, he was born into King David's family. And he was shown to be the son of God when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is Christ, our Lord. Through Christ, God is giving us the privilege and authority as apostles to tell Gentiles everywhere what God has done for them. So that they will believe and obey, bringing glory to his name. And you are included among those Gentiles who've been called to belong to Jesus Christ. I'm writing to all of you in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his own holy people. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Father God, we humbly, joyfully, expectantly come into your presence. God, we love you. We're overwhelmed by you. And anytime we really pause and think about you and think about your love, think about your power and your greatness and your majesty, Lord, we are just totally blown away. Uh, like David, when we consider the things your hands have made, who are we that you care about us, but yet you chose to send your son to adopt us into your very own family. And God, I pray you help me this morning to uh, talk about Paul and his journey, uh, that we might learn from him as we journey with and for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Maple Grove, welcome to chapter 29 of the story. Wow. It's hard to believe that we are on the final lap of this journey that we began all the way back on January the 13th. A journey where we have, we have seen played out again and again, century after century, the overriding theme of, of the Bible, the overriding theme of God's story, which is God's passionate pursuit of a prodigal people. Now understand, ever since man's fallen in the garden, God has been pursuing the people he created in his own image and likeness with a, with a passion that just will not quit. Doing whatever it takes to ensure that things are made right with him and his people. And that would be made right with us, with me and with you. Question, are you grateful And that word just falls woefully short. Are you grateful that the God we love, the God we serve, is a God who pursues prodigal people like you and I with a great passion? I mean, are you grateful for that? Aren't you grateful that, that that's the story of the Bible? Uh, about a God who won't give up on us? That a God who keeps chasing after 
trust. And no matter how far we run, he'll run farther and longer to bring us back to himself. And last week we talked about how, how, how God's redemptive plan was really a three-phase plan. Uh, phase one was the nation of Israel. Where, uh, and this is the phase where, where God builds a nation that would not only point people to Christ, but would prepare the world for his actual arrival. And phase two was, was Jesus, the son of living God, the, uh, the one who, who lived a sinless death and uh, sinless life and died a sinner's death. The one who satisfied the wrath of God so that you and I could experience the love of God in all its fullness. That's the gospel. That's the good news. Anybody excited about that good news? Anybody excited about that? I mean, like I said before, I I, I ain't too proud to beg, you know what I'm saying? You know, I mean, this is some good stuff here. I mean, that God would love us like that. And then phase three is the church. That's us. That's me. That's you. That's Maple Grove. The people chosen by God to both receive this good news and to go out into the world and spread this good news, letting the world know that because of Jesus, that God is no longer counting man's sin against them. Yeah, last Sunday we began looking at the book of Acts, the history of the church, and we saw a movement being born. Uh, one that literally changed the world in which they lived in. And, and it changed it not, not by power and might, but by, by grace and truth. By, they changed the world they lived in by just, by just being the church. Uh, by, by just going out and living in, in the workplace, in the marketplace, in their neighborhoods, in their home. By living out all the things that they claim to believe. Uh, uh, they change the world by, by simply taking people to the feet of Jesus, getting them there, and then letting Jesus do the thing that only Jesus can do. Uh, a guy named Erwin McManus uh, says it this way in his book, Wide Awake. Jesus changed the way his followers actually engage life. He launched a movement that unleashed previously untapped potential in those who believed in him. And last Sunday, we saw this church explode. 3,000 people joined their numbers on the very first service. And the Lord added daily to their number those who were being saved. And and listen, what God did in and through them, his people then, he can do again. He can. He he wants to. And, and, And Maple Grove, this will happen now. This will happen in this place. The Lord adding daily to our numbers. Those are being saved. This will happen if we, if you, if I, if I devote myself, if you devote yourself, because we only devote our own selves, if we devote ourselves to the five things that fueled the early church. And, and what did they devote themselves to? What, what did they adhere to strength to? The apostles' teaching. He said, you know what, we're going we're gonna to read this book, we're going to know this book, and we're going to live this book. This book will be our guide. It will direct what we do and what we don't do. Uh, they devoted themselves to the, to the fellowship, to, to doing life together. Uh, they devoted themselves to prayer. They said, are you kidding me? I, I have direct access to the sovereign king of the universe. You better believe I'm going to call him up. You better believe I'm going to go into his throne room. And they devoted themselves to the, the breaking of bread, to communion, to that weekly reminder of, of Christ's sacrifice and, and Christ's love. And they devoted themselves to dependence on the Holy Spirit. And, and really, from where I stand, there's only one question that remains, right? God can and God wants to. The question is, you know, will you? Will I? Will the person to your right and to your left, will we? 
devote ourselves to those things? You know, today is September 1st, and a lot of times I like to call the last four months of the year the final four in honor of one of the, next to the Super Bowl, one, the greatest event in sports, right? You know, March Madness, and, and, and uh, in my opinion. And uh, this is the final four months of the year. Maybe you've stunk on these things. But you know, will you? you know, will you devote yourself more in the final four months of this year, more to God's word, knowing it, reading it, living it out, more to prayer, more to doing life together, more to communion, more to listening to the Holy Spirit than you did the first eight months of the year? And if so, raise your hand and get the pick. Okay, accountability time. Look, okay. All right. All right. Sweet. Sweetness. Welcome again to chapter 29 of the story. A conversation I decided to call this morning, uh, the movement continues. And yeah, I wore my t-shirt and it is clean. Okay, I washed it from last week. I promise. Actually got two red ones. Again, the last words that Jesus spoke to his guys before he went into heaven is found in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And, and these are his final instructions, the marching orders he, he gave to us that are still in effect. And he, he said this in Acts chapter, chapter 1, uh, verse 8. He, he said, but you will, be, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my what? My, my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And and then the rest of the book of Acts is pretty much, it just, it just outlines what happened. In Acts chapter 1 through chapter 7, we see the gospel spreading in Jerusalem. In Acts chapter 8 through chapter 12, we see the gospel going into Judea and Samaria. And from Acts chapter 13 through Acts chapter 28, uh, we see the gospel going to the ends of the earth. And, and listen, not, not only do we see... Uh, you know, uh, the gospel going to the ends of the earth in chapters 13 through 28. But we, 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 see the, uh, we see a new leader taking center stage in the church, in this movement. In Acts chapter 1 through 12, Peter is the main guy, the main character in the church. And then beginning at Acts chapter 13, a guy named Paul is handed the baton of, of leadership. He takes on that leading role. And, and, and listen, at the time, Paul was a very unlikely candidate to even become a Christian, let alone leave the movement, you know, let alone be the one giving uh, the mission of taking a, uh, the message to the Gentiles for several reasons. Number one, he was a Jew. And I mean, it, it, if you're going to reach Gentiles, you would think that you would get a Gentile to do it. Uh, but God chose a Jew, Paul, to reach the Gentiles. A second reason why Paul was an unlikely candidate to leave the movement is because Paul hated and despised Jesus. And he tried to destroy the church. I mean, in Acts chapter 7, when, when Stephen is being stoned, Paul is right there. He's holding the coats as they throw the rocks. And in fact, I think he's probably the guy that gave the order to have Stephen murdered. And we read these words about Paul in Acts chapter 9. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. That's not good. So he went to the high priest, he requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. And now listen, if you're wanting to lead God's church, that's not a really good thing to put on your resume, right? You know, I, I want to kill Christians and I want to take moms and dads and rip them from their homes and I want to drag them off in chains, all right? A very unlikely guy, yet this is a guy that God chooses. That's crazy. That's insane. 
It's surprising. It's unlikely. Are you kidding me? Yet, as we've seen consistently played out through the story, this insane, crazy, making unlikely choices to fulfill his purpose is how God likes to do things. Right? I mean, over and over again, we see God choosing people that are not very likely. Abraham and Sarah, Moses and David, Ruth and Esther, Gideon and a donkey, right? I mean, that's crazy. Yeah. Joseph and Mary, Peter and Paul. And listen, if you haven't picked it up yet, by now in the story, please don't miss it before we end this thing. God can use anybody. The sovereign king of the universe can use anybody. And that means me. And that means you. Repeat after me. God can use me. God can use me. Now look to the person to your right. It could be hard to believe, but say, hey, God can use you too. Are you kidding me? <laughs> and so we see in Acts chapter 13 through 28, we see God taking this, this man, this unlikely candidate, and using him in some extremely crazy ways. I mean, he uses this guy who hated Jesus, this murderer, you know, to plant, to go on three missionary journeys and plant at least 10 churches. And he uses this guy to, to write 13 of the 27 books of the New Testament. And now we don't have time today to go through all of Paul's missionary journeys. But what I want us to do, I want us to kind of zero in on this first missionary journey that we see beginning in Acts chapter 13. And after we look at the journey, I want us to see what was there about Paul in this journey that we can learn from Paul and apply to our own journey. So his very first journey begins in Acts chapter 13. We read these words. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, and Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, and I love this little note here. Who have been brought up with who? Is that nuts? It just throws that in there. Yeah, this guy who, who like was buddies, they play softball. They were in the same little league team together, you know, with Herod. Best pals. Well, guess what? Now he's a Jesus. That is just, they just throw that in there. Like that, that's the movement of the early church. Uh, while they're worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, you know, if we want the Holy Spirit to speak to us, prayer and fasting is probably a good thing to do. Set apart from me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. And, and now we read this really quickly, but listen, this is no small thing because you're talking about the church sending out their most effective leaders and communicators. And so we see in this early church that they weren't just focusing on their little region, their community. They're sending Barnabas and Paul, their two key leaders, their two strongest leaders probably, somewhere else. Saying, hey, no, you, no, you need to go. You need to go because this is what we're about as a church. We're not just about us. We're about making sure everybody everywhere knows the good news about Jesus. And I want to use a map here to kind of trace out his first missionary journey. I got my cool little, little laser pointer here. All right. It reminds me, I was at a youth thing one time in Gatlinburg with this little thing on a, on, on a deck and there were ducks outside at night. <laughs> it was hilarious. You do this thing, they'd follow this way, they follow this way, they follow this way. After an hour of it, I got called in, it was time to go to bed. You know, it was like, this is so fun. It just, <laughs> they go this way. So I, I tried it with the students and it wouldn't work. 
But anyhow, okay. Uh, here, they start in Antioch. Uh, that's where they're prayed for. They're sent off to hop a boat over to Cyprus. And uh, Cyprus is where Barnabas is from. And they, and they preach the word of God in Cyprus. They go all the way across the island. Uh, they wind up in a place called Paphos. And, and at Paphos, it, it's, the, it's the center of, of the Roman government on, on the island of Cyprus. And Paul preaches a sermon in Acts chapter 13. You got, if you haven't read it yet, you just got to read it. I mean, he traces the history of God's people from Moses up to the time of Christ and nails it, hits a home run. And, and many of the, of the rulers and, and uh, those in power accept Christ, okay? And, and, and then what they do is they, they, they hop on another boat and they go to Pamphylia. They arrive at Perga. And at Perga, that's kind of where John Mark you know, he got a little homesick. He was traveling with them. And, and, and we don't know what happened, but he goes back to Jerusalem and, you know, kind of, you know, maybe tick Paul off a little bit. We don't know exactly what happened. And so after they preach the word here uh, and start a church, they go up to Antioch uh, of Pisidia, Pisidian Antioch. It's a hundred mile journey on foot. And uh, they, they have a really good time there. People are, are, are surrendering their lives to Christ. And, but unfortunately up here, you know, some of the, the Jews get jealous of them. They begin to follow Paul and, 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 and Barnabas around. Okay, so we already, we begin to, to see Paul's model. He goes into these areas and he, 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 he preaches, he, he shows them how Jesus Christ is the Christ and the Savior of the world. And, and then from Basidi Antioch, they head to Iconium and they have a great ministry there. Um, but again, after a while, people get angry, they push them out of the town again. They finally, they, they wind up in Lystra. Lystra, Paul has a really tough time. You know, people are surrendering to Christ, but... They eventually drag him outside the city of Lystra. They stone him and they leave him for dead. And then Paul goes to, uh, he goes to Derby, has a, you know, shares God there, shares Christ there. And then he begins to retrace his steps back, visiting all the churches, appointing elders in every area. And then he hops on a boat and he heads back to Antioch. And I read that and I'm like, I'm just kind of tired. I mean, it had to be an exhausting trip, right? I mean, like they're walking like the whole way. You know, except when they get on the boat and this is like, you know, it's not a cruise ship. It's not the Royal Caribbean. It's more like Carnival, right? Carnival's having so many issues. <laughs> so Paul says, uh, Carnival, I'll wait for Royal Caribbean. All right. If you work for Royal, you work Carnival, I apologize for that, uh, that joke at your expense. All right. Um, and, and, and so it's a long journey. This first one is about 2000 miles. And when you look at Paul's entire journey, his three missionary journeys, he traveled about 13,400 miles in all his missionary journeys, you know. And you're talking, you know, walking and shipwrecks, walking on roads that, that are not like our roads and roads that are controlled by um, bandits and criminals. It was a very difficult journey that Paul was on. And here's what I, I want us to do. I want us to focus on the word journey because that's really appropriate word to describe the Christian life. It's a journey, right? In fact, in the New Testament, uh, sometimes the words used for Christians are the word traveler or sojourner. And we're on a journey. And, and whenever we, we, we think of a journey, we tend to focus on where we're going. Like, hey, where did Paul go or where are we going to go? But there's another aspect to any journey that's just as important as where you're going. And, and it's this. It's who you are as you go. Who you are as you go. And, and so the question then becomes, on the journey that God has us on as believers, what can we learn from Paul? 
I mean, what are some qualities in his life? What are some things that mark Paul's journey that should mark our journey as well? And, and as I read about Paul's first missionary journey, you know, one word that pops up about Paul would be the word commitment. Commitment. Yeah, that's the word you would use to describe someone like Paul. He's committed. He's intentional. He's passionate. It's a really difficult journey, but Paul, he's all in. He served God with everything. He was committed. And you know, I think many times we wrongly assume that if we're, we're following God on a journey, that things will just go well, that things will unfold smoothly. In fact, if things do go well for us, we think, hey, God is in this, God hand is on me. And if things don't go well, we're like, well, how did I miss it? How did I get so far off God's will? Now, I'm not sure where we got that from, but I know we didn't get it from scripture. And I know we didn't get it from Paul's life, right? Because his journey was anything but easy. He had nothing but difficulties and circumstances that were hard. And in fact, in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, you know, Paul grabs a, a pen and he, he lists some of the things that he went through, that he experienced on his journey with and for the Lord. And again, this is like a real person. We can read this. You know, but you know, Paul was a real person. When you cut him, he bled. When you hit him, he bruised, right? He says, I've worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night in the day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've, I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles. See the theme here? In danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false believers. I've labored and told and often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Now that sounds like a pretty rough trip, right? I mean, if that happens on your family vacation, you're probably not going to say the journey went too good. Yeah, that is a lot. That's a, that's a lot for somebody to go through in the journey. A lot of difficulties, a, a lot of challenges. And, but Paul was committed. He just didn't quit. He was faithful to what God had called him to do. And so we read in Acts chapter 14, like I said, you know, he's in Lystra and they drag him outside the city. They stone him and they leave him for dead. And you know what verse 20 says? That after he was stoned and left for dead, it says he got up and went back into the city. And I read that. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, Paul, did one of those rocks hit your head too hard? Why in the world would you go back into the city? Why? Because Paul was committed. And listen, if that was a biography telling the story of my life, I'm not sure it would go like that. I mean, if I went to a town and I preached there and they stoned me and left me for dead, it, my story would probably read, and Steve died. You know, he just died. It's ended. Or, or it might read, Steve got up and ran away like a little girl. <laughs> I'm not sure I would say Steve got up and went back into the city, but Paul did because he was committed. He was committed to the mission first and foremost, regardless of his own safety, regardless of his own security, certainly regardless of his own comfort. You know, this guy wasn't kidding when he said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, if we're out of our mind, as some say, 
It is for the sake of, for God. See, Paul wasn't just committed. He was crazy committed. If you need more proof of that, you look at Acts chapter 20. And Paul's with the elders at Ephesus, one of the most powerful scenes in the book of Acts. He's, they're, they're praying together. They're crying together. He spent three years at that church. He loved those people. They know he's going back to Jerusalem and it's not going to be pretty. They don't want him to go. And he says, now compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Paul's like, I can't quit. I won't give up. The mission's too important. The cause is worth the cost. You see, Commitment marked Paul's journey, and commitment needs to mark our journey for and with Jesus. And, and commitment is a very powerful thing. I mean, to the boxer, uh, commitment is getting up off the mat one more time than you were knocked down. You know, to the marathon runner, commitment reads, means running another 10 miles when your strength is gone. To the soldier, commitment means going over the hill, even though you don't know what's waiting for you on the other side. To the missionary, which we, are, we all are, by the way. Commitment means saying goodbye to our comfort, our wants, our needs, our desires in order to make a better life for somebody else. Author Gordon said it this way. I like this. Nothing is easier than saying the words and nothing is harder than what? Living them day after day. And guys, I know it's hard. You know, and I know that as we sit in this room today, that some of you are really tired and worn out. I mean, you thought you were being faithful to what God called you to, but it hasn't turned out the way you thought it would. Don't, don't give up. Don't quit and go home. Let commitment mark your journey. So moms, on your journey, I know it's hard, and, and I know for many of you, you're tired and worn out, and it's just easy to let one day turn into the next but would you recommit to being passionate about what God has called you to? To waking up early and praying for your kids, to pouring your life into your family, don't quit. I know we don't say it often enough. Thank you. And I know it's hard, but stay committed. Be faithful. And husbands and dads, would you commit to just doing the hard work of spiritual leadership in your home? I know it's hard to come home from work and you're tired and you just want to kick back in the, in the recliner and zone out. And you tell yourself, well, I'll, I'll do it tomorrow. You know, I'll get serious about this spiritual leadership stuff later, maybe next week. But God is asking you to do it today. To say, I'm going to be committed to this. I'm going to be faithful to what God has called me to. Yeah, it's hard. Dads and husbands, but your family needs you. And God has called you. Yet the day for some of us is the day to get back off the ground and walk back into that city. At work. And students, part of your work is in the classroom. Would you go to work tomorrow with a different spirit and say, today I'm going to do my job for the glory of God, for real. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to give everything I have and going to give it as an act of worship to him. That's the way I'm going to see it from now on. 
I'm not just going to get by. I'm, go, I'm going to be committed and faithful to what God has called me to do, to represent him, to reflect his person and purpose wherever I am. And as followers of Jesus, would you just commit to saying, I, 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 I'm not just going to go to church, but I, I'm going to try to be the church. I'm going to try to live out the things that I claim to believe wherever I go. Commitment marked Paul's journey. Another thing that marked his journey that needs to mark ours is joy. Now, a lot of things we could talk about, but I'm just, I'm amazed at the level of Paul's joy. I mean, he's at a church in Pisidian Antioch, and things are, things are really going well. I mean, it, it, we read in verse 44, on the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. I mean, like, wow, next, things went so well. Next Sunday, like, all of Charlottesville came to our campus, man. Like, they're, they're in parking lots. It's just crazy. I mean, that, that's a pretty good Sunday, right? It's been hard for so long. Now things finally seem to be going well. And then we read this. When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. They began to contradict what Paul was saying and heaped abuse on him. So right when things looked like they were finally picking up, ever been there? They start to face opposition. Verse 50 tells us that they stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from the region. And so then we read that Paul and Barnabas, it says that they shook the dust off their feet. And they moved on to the next town. And they just brushed it off. They moved. Hey, you know, if that's how you want it to be, if that's how you're going to play this thing, it's not on me. It's not on me. It's on you. And then in verse 52, I love it. It says, and they were filled with joy. What? And with the Holy Spirit. Let's be honest. That's not how we would expect the story to end, right? Yeah, everything's going hard. Everything starts going great. Everything falls apart. Everything crashes and burns, and they are filled with joy. And we see that joy marked Paul's journey, even when it didn't make sense. From a prison cell, he writes these words, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. From a prison cell. And it doesn't make sense to us. You know why? Because for, for far too many of us, joy is completely de- our joy is completely dependent upon circumstances. Our happiness is tied tightly to what happens. Sure, I- I'm joyful if I'm in good health. I'm joyful if my finances are okay. I'm joyful if the guy I wanted in office got elected. I'm joyful if my team won. I'm sorry, Hokie fans, what a rough day that was, right? Alabama game won. It, it could be worse. You could have been... A school called Elon. I found out that someone first service goes to it, and I was kind of dog in their school. <laughs> uh, they lost seventy to nothing to Georgia Tech. It's like seriously, you thought thirty-five to ten was bad, all right? You know, uh, but too many times our, our joy is circumstantial, but that's not true for Paul. When things were against him, he was still joyful. You see, his joy was not determined by circumstances. His joy was where it was in the Lord. And may my joy and your joy be found in the same place. And not in circumstances, not in what happens or doesn't happen, but in the, in the Lord. And we see another example of Paul's crazy joy in, in, in Philippians chapter 16. He's on his second missionary journey. Things are going great. A mob starts a riot. He's arrested. Uh, the officials order him, him and Paul and Silas to be, to be stripped and beaten with rods. They're thrown into an inner dungeon. Their feet are shackled to the ground. 
And listen, that's like the worst case scenario for a preacher. You know, I, I'm just telling you. Yeah, like, like I never know how people are going to respond to a message. Like, I don't really know if you guys are really listening and, you know, if you're taking notes and if when you actually look like you're on your phone, you're, you're, are, are you just posting awesome quotes from me or, or are you checking the score or playing Angry Bird, all right? But I'm pretty sure that even after today that no one's going to, like, beat me with rods and throw me in jail. I'm pretty sure that's not going to happen, but it happened to Paul. And then we read in verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying, were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Okay, wait a second. Let me get straight here. About midnight in a dungeon, Paul and Silas, who had just been beat with rods, are singing to God. Are you kidding me? I mean, they've just been beaten. They're in a the dungeon. They're chained up. And I could just see Silas looking at Paul. Hey, bro, are you what I'm feeling? Paul goes, night of worship? Silas goes, exactly, with everything. And they just start praising God. I cut that off short for your benefit. Be thankful. I mean, how does that happen? How do you start praising and worshiping God in the midst of such opposition and difficult circumstances? By having a crazy joy, by having a joy that's grounded in the Lord, that's grounded in who he is, that's grounded in what he's done for you, and that's grounded in where he is taking us. To this place with no more pain, no more sorrow, no more disease, no more stupid stuff ever, ever again, forever. And we could trace other qualities of Paul. We would see along the journey that he showed love. He showed love to the Gentiles. He showed love to a lame man in chapter X, in Acts chapter 14, and to the jailer who threw him in, in jail in Philippi. Later on that night, he's at their home baptizing his entire family. And we also see patience with Paul on the journey. Patience as he preached to people who wouldn't listen. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Uh, patience as he prayed for God to remove what he called his thorn in the flesh. Patience with the Jews who constantly were working against him and trying to destroy him. You see, it's easy for us to study these journeys and just focus on locations to see where he went. Uh, but Maple Grove, what I'm trying to get us to catch this morning is our journey is not just about where we are going. It's about who we are along the way. And Paul's journey was marked with commitment and passion, intentionality. He was joyful and faithful. He's loving and patient. And I think most of us would say, that's great. Yeah, I, I want those things to mark my journey too. But, but, but how do we do that? Well, here's the secret. It's a third thing that marked Paul's journey. It's who he was traveling... It's who was traveling with Paul. It's his traveling companion. No, I'm not talking about Barnabas. I'm not talking about Silas. I'm talking about the Holy Spirit. Understand the Holy Spirit was the constant companion of Peter and Paul and the apostles in the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit is what empowered them to have this kind of journey. I mean, that's what we read in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, right? You will receive power when? When the... Holy Spirit comes upon you. Now, it's not the first appearance of the Holy Spirit in the Bible, right? I mean, we see the Holy Spirit hovering over the waters in Genesis. We see him showing up throughout the Old Testament. We see him descending on Jesus like a dove in the Gospels. But in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit takes center stage. He, uh, the, Luke mentions him 57 times in the book of Acts. 57 times. 
In the book of Acts, we see the Holy Spirit. We see him speaking. We see him acting, leading, calling, guiding, forbidding. And we see him teaching, deciding, comforting, encouraging. We even see him grieving. The Holy Spirit is key to the journey that we're on. And that's why Jesus' final conversation with his guys the night of his arrest, one of the main topics was what? The Holy Spirit. So in John 14, 16, he says, I asked the Father and he will give you another comforter, the Holy Spirit, to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. And that word another is kind of interesting. You know, there's two words that Jesus could have used there, Greek words. And, and, um, one is the Greek word um, heteros, which means another of a similar kind. Or he could have used the word alas, which means another of exactly the same kind. And listen, when Jesus promised the Holy Spirit, he used alas. So he isn't saying, I'm going to send someone who's kind of like me. He says, no, I'm going to send someone who is exactly like me. Exactly. You can't tell the difference. Exactly alike. You see, Jesus is God in the flesh. The spirit is God in spirit form. Exactly alike. And then Jesus goes on to say that same night, he says this. If I tell you the truth, it is for your own good that I'm going away. That don't make sense to me, Jesus. Unless I go away, the Holy Spirit will not be able to come to you. But if I go, I will send them to you. Jesus says, hey, guys, it's really a good thing that I'm leaving. Because if I leave, then the Holy Spirit can come and he is better. Well, why would he be better if they're exactly the same? Because God with you is good. But God inside of you is even better. Is even better. So Jesus promises this gift that would come. And I think Paul would just say, you know, this is it. He says, you look at my journey. He says, don't be impressed with me. I didn't do it. He says, the, way, the reason this thing worked is because the Holy Spirit was my constant companion along the way. In Galatians, Paul talks about, you know, the fruit of the Spirit. See, Paul says, you know what, it's not from ourselves that we have joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. They're not from ourselves. We don't get them. You know, if you're struggling with peace or I'm struggling with peace or having joy in difficult circumstances, I'm not going to get them by just sucking it up, right? You know, gutting it out. No, I get them from the Holy Spirit. He's key to our journey. He's a gift given to us, right? Uh, repent to be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And Nick and Brandy just, boom, he's there. Woo! <laughs> awesome. In his best-selling book called Into Thin Air, the author talks about some of the hazards that people face climbing Mount Everest, and he talks about a guy named Andy Harris. And Andy is one of the leaders on this expedition, but, but he stays a little bit too long at the peak, and everybody else starts heading down, and he stays up there, and he begins to descend down Mount Everest and becomes aware that he's in dire need of oxygen. And he raises a base camp, and he says, man, I'm out of oxygen. I need something. They say, it's all right. He says, we left some oxygen tanks for you. They're right there. Do you see them? And he says, yeah, yeah, I see them, but they're empty. And they're saying, no, no, they're not empty. Did you check them? He goes, yeah, they're empty. And, and what they 
quickly realizes that Andy is deprived of oxygen. And because he's deprived of oxygen, he doesn't realize that what he needs is right in front of him. In other words, what's right in front of him is missing. And because it's missing, he doesn't see what's right in front of him. And they keep pleading with them, check the tanks, the oxygen, it's full. It's full. It's there. It's available. It's waiting there for you. We left it for you. It's right there. But he wouldn't listen. He wouldn't listen. And he never left the mountain alive. And I guess I, I kind of relate to that story a bit because, I, you know, as I stand up here, I, I, I know that the Holy Spirit is the oxygen of the Christian life. And it just doesn't work without him. And it was never intended to. And what I know is this, if we don't have him, if we're not being filled with him, then we'll, we won't realize what we're missing and what we so desperately need, even though it's right in front of us. The same power that conquered the grave lives in me. The journey is difficult and it's hard. Do not attempt it without oxygen. And I think Paul would say this, of all the things that mark my journey, he says, this is the key. This is the most important thing. This is what makes the journey possible. He says in Galatians 5.25, since we live by the Spirit, since the Spirit is where we get our peace and, and our joy and our faithfulness and our self-control and our love, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Now, that's journey talk, right? Let's keep in step. Uh, let's make sure that every step of the way that the, the Holy Spirit is our constant companion. And, and how does that work, right? I mean, we don't always talk about the Holy Spirit that much in church, right? He's some, you know, some, some mystical thing out there. But, but, but imagine, if, imagine if you had Jesus physically standing beside you all the time. That'd be awesome, right? You know, where you could ask, hey, Jesus, what should I do here? Jesus, how should I respond? Jesus, I'm really not sure what to do. And so I think growing in the spirit just begins with you and I having a conversation like he's right there. Holy Spirit, I'm, I'm kind of afraid right now. I'm kind of overwhelmed by like these hardships are really sucking me under. Could you help me out maybe? Holy Spirit, I'm, I'm kind of confused about what to do. Holy Spirit, I'm really angry at this person. They, they've, they've really hurt me. And I, and I, I, I don't know, is, how should I respond to this? You know, it, we just begin to talk to the Holy Spirit like he's there. You know, some older Bibles, they'll, they'll sit there and they'll say that, you'll read, you know, it'll say Acts and underneath of it, it'll say of the apostles, right? That's really not true. It's not the Acts of the apostles. It's the Acts of the, the Holy Spirit. He made it possible. I mean, that's why Jesus gave them to us, right? You know, he, he makes the whole thing possible. And I'm really glad it's not the acts of the apostles because it would have ended with the apostles. And that would mean that the work in the church is dependent upon me and upon you. When in reality, it's dependent upon our dependence on the Holy Spirit that is inside of us. God is within us. The same power that conquered the grave lives in me lives in you. Pray with me. Stand and pray with you. You don't mind. Heavenly Father, God, I, I, we love you. And I, I know that I, I'm in a room with a, 
a bunch of travelers on a journey with you and for you. And God, I, I know that I know that some are tired, weary, worn out, and things are not going the way they hoped things would go. Joy is elusive, peace is nowhere to be found, and love is just so hard to live out. And Holy Spirit, I just pray in the next few moments that you would just breathe into us and you would just stir us and remind us that these things are all part of your work, part of your fruit in us, your desire for us. Jesus, thank you for not leaving us alone. Thank you that the journey is dependent upon our dependence on you. And I just pray in the next few minutes as we worship, as we pray, we remember that 2,000 years ago, love came down. And that today, because of Jesus, the same power that conquered the grave lives in us. Thank you, Jesus, for who you are, for who we are because of you. Amen.